It don't focus on the idolaters in the world. This is for people who claim to follow God yet have idols in their heart. So my prayer is that our hearts, our eyes, and ears would be open to God's desire for our life, that we would not misappropriate our worship. And you may not have an obvious idol in your life right now, but we all have the capacity to do that, to misappropriate our worship due to our circumstances. So what that means for us is to be watchful. Sin is crouching at the door of our hearts, and our flesh loves to focus on self-love rather than sacrificial love. And that being said, it'd be wrong for me to continue this sermon without the quote from John Calvin. Man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols. Man's mind, full as it is of pride and boldness, dares to imagine a God according to its own capacity as it sluggishly plods, indeed is overwhelmed with the crassest ignorance. It conceives an unreality and an empty appearance as God. It's not just the tendency of the Israelites in the desert. This is the tendency of the church in Ephesus. This is the tendency of the church in the Middle Ages. And this is the tendency of the church around the world and the tendency of the branch church in Dahlonega in 2023. So as we read this well-known story today, listen with watchfulness as God wants to preserve us, correct us, teach us, and lead us in righteousness through His Word today. So let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it is good and true. We thank You for your correction. Lord, we thank you for all the people that have gathered here today. We thank you that you've brought them here. Lord, I pray that you would use the words from this passage to convict us and to move us into righteousness. Lord, use me. Help me get out of the way. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Exodus 32. Here we go. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So this brings me up to our first point. Right? We are vulnerable to idol worship when we dislike God's timing. Who in here has ever disliked God's timing, right? Yeah. We're vulnerable when things don't seem like they're going our way, right? So the first step of being watchful is to recognizing that you have a vulnerability, right? So when they saw that Moses delayed, how long was he up on the mountain? Anybody remember? 40 days. Now, that's a long time. I know like a few months of studying Exodus has taught us that a long time is a long time, and we're going through it. But when Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, that's when they said, man, I don't really like the way that this is going. And they started to ask Aaron to help them make an idol for themselves. Verse 2. I promise we're not going to pause every verse. So. so Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. 
And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. What a sad line. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. The Israelites took what God had given them from the land of Egypt so that they could worship him and instead worshiped the stuff, right? Y'all remember how they got all this stuff? They were commanded to go and take things from the Egyptians. That's all this, all this gold and all the things, and they were supposed to take it, and all like the last six or seven weeks, we have been studying the tabernacle, right? And all of the things that, were, that they brought, their gold, their uh, fine twined linen, all of that was stuff that was given to them from the Egyptians, and then they were supposed to turn that into the tabernacle. But what they've done here is they've taken it and they've turned it into something else for them to worship, right? So they took the stuff that God gave them and they worshiped it. We are vulnerable to idol worship when we focus on the gifts of God rather than God himself, right? The things that God gives us in our life, our relationships, food, a home, comfort. When we take that and we make that the main thing, we're vulnerable to idol worship rather than thanking the one who gave it to us. Verse 6. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Little note there, rose up to play, many commentators uh, think is an idiom for sexual immorality. And Paul also links idolatry and sexual immorality many times in the New Testament, which is, I think, a pretty good take. When we have idols in our lives, we're, we are quick to operate in ways that are contrary to God's will, right? So, good things in the wrong context are bad things, right? Eating, drinking, rising up to play. We all know that these are good things, but in the wrong context, it's wrong. Coffee at 8 a.m. versus coffee at 5 p.m. Yeah, I drank coffee at like 8 o'clock last night. Bad idea. I didn't sleep well, right? But sex or sexual acts outside the context of marriage, it's sin. It's not what God desires for you. Eating and drinking as worship to false gods. Food and drink are good, but when in worship to other gods, not good. But we probably don't struggle with that, right? We uh, probably struggle with maybe having one, two, three more drinks than we should. Um, or do you take the do you drink alcohol to just take the edge off of your day? The scriptures seem to use wine as a drink for celebration and remembrance, not for stress relief or to forget pain. Here's something for me, right? I eat food often because I'm just bored. Uh, to fill my time with mindlessness. And that's a complete neglect of the fact that God has called me to self-control and to a spirit of generosity. When I'm not 
generous. I don't think about the people that are lacking food. It's like I could give of the food that I have rather than eating it just because I'm bored. And that's mindlessness. Um, instead, we should be generous. So food, drink, sex, good in the right context. But in the wrong context, bad, sin, idolatry. You might not see those things as worship of a false god, but it is. It's the worship of self. Galatians calls it the gratification of the flesh. Verse 7, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them, and they have made for themselves a golden calf, and have worshipped it, and sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked or rebellious people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I make a great nation of you. This sounds a lot like a combination of Noah and Abraham's stories. God seeing the sin of people wanting to start over with a faithful representative. And verse 11 picks up here. It says, But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot? against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, And to them, he said, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. So let's just do a quick check real quick. So I'm going to encourage some response. Does God have the right to destroy these people? Yes. All right, good. We've got an understanding of the doctrine of God. He can do what he wants, right? And also, because of the nature of God, that he's gracious, he's compassionate, he's merciful, and he's rich in love, Moses challenges God's right desire to destroy these people, right? He holds him to the promise that he's made to these people. And just like that, Moses stood in, he held God to his promise, and God relents from the destruction of his people. Moses here is an intercessor. That just is a fancy word for somebody who prays for someone else, right? Sometimes we quickly feel like maybe like we're supposed to be Moses in this story. But I want to back up first. More so in this story, Moses is the intercessor that Israel needed in the same way that Jesus is the intercessor that you and I need, right? Jesus is holding the Father to the promise that the redemption of sin through his own blood is forever final, and he intercedes for us, for you and I, at the throne of God when we sin. He says, forgiven, 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 
I died for that sin. He's interceding on our behalf forever. And that's the same thing that Moses is doing here. It is a beautiful picture of trying to be self-sacrificial, right? Moses offers up, he even offers up his own life later on. And Moses remembers that the battle against Egypt was a battle for the, gracious, the faithful, gracious, and compassionate nature of God's reputation towards his people. Do you all remember when we were studying the plagues? It was all about God saying, this is who I am. Because Pharaoh said, who is this God? I don't know who he is. And God was standing there saying, I am the one who is with my people. And that's why he made the plagues happen to the Egyptians so that his people could go and worship him. And so Moses is saying that same thing here. He's saying, you don't want to be the God who just walked his people into the desert and killed them. That's not what you want your reputation to be. Stay true to the promise that you made for your people that I will be your God and you will be my people. You said that, God. So God cares about his reputation as a promise keeper. Amen? We do this here. If y'all remember, that's been a minute since we've done, right? But God stays true to his promises. Something in Stephen's family. If y'all haven't, just do it for me. Come on. And now whenever you get a thumbs up and you do that, you'll remember, God stays true to his promises. That's a good word. And as God stays true to his promises, Christ is our intercessor. His blood was final. His atonement is always before the Father. That he would remember that our sin was already punished on the cross through Christ. So, We've talked about the idea of like a priest, right? Christ is our great high priest, and then he calls us to be priests for the world, right? That we would be a kingdom of priests, that we would represent God to the world and, and in prayer represent the world back to God. And so as we step into that role as intercessor, we should know the God that we're praying to. Just as Moses knew the promise of God and Christ knows the will of the Father, we should go to God in prayer through his word. So what does that look like? When we pray, recall the promises of God. Here's some examples. Lord, you say you care for me. I cast all my anxiety to you. Lord, you say you will never leave me or forsake me. I feel alone. Help me to know that you are here even when I don't feel it. Lord, you promise that if we seek first the kingdom of God, you will supply all of my needs. Help me to see what I need and to seek you before everything else. And don't just pray the promises of God over your own life. Do it for others. Lord, you promise that our sin is forgiven through the complete sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Help my friend to walk free of sin and shame. Lord, you promise that you are our ever-present help in our time of need. Help her see your hand in this situation. Lord, you promise that you are our strength, that you will bear fruit in our lives. Help him to see his sin, confess it, to walk humbly before you. 
displaying your love to the world instead of his pride. We know the Scriptures. We should know the Scriptures so that we can pray them back to God, pray the promises of God to God. Verse 15, if you're still tracking along. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people, they shouted, and he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. And Joshua would have known what war sounded like. So this is pretty intense noises that are going down there, right? But he said, it's not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. It's a great counseling technique. Some of you, if you have received counseling from me, uh, this is sometimes what it feels like. Uh, But I love you for real. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire. And out came this calf. Y'all know. Aaron's just blame-shifting here. The priest, the last seven weeks have been about this priestly tabernacle that God's going to dwell in, and then the priestly people, Aaron and his sons, are supposed to be stepping into the role that is honoring God, remembering God, remembering God's promises, and making sacrifice on the behalf of Israel. But look here, even the priest needs a priest. Moses is interceding on behalf of even Aaron. The tendency of our heart is idolatry. Watch out. Watch your heart. Brian Hedges is the author of a book called Watchfulness, and I highly recommend it. It's a great book. He says this, we cannot pay attention to the gospel without at the same time paying attention to ourselves. Watchfulness involves considering our hearts and our ways. The more we understand our weakness, the more we come to rely on the strength of God's grace. The more we come to understand our weakness, the more we come to understand and rely on the strength of God's grace. Unless we watch our hearts and keep our focus on Christ, we will, we will fall to idols, idols of self, of sex, of money, worldly desires, materialism, comfort, 
relationships, the new phone, new clothes, idols, unless we watch our hearts and keep our focus on Christ. All of these people watched, literally, a pillar of fire go before them. They saw a cloud with lightning on a mountain. They at least heard of the parting of the Red Sea. Most of them had walked through the dry ground. And they had gold on their ears that reminded them of the deliverance from Egypt. They saw and they heard. They even probably ate a Passover lamb. But what did they do? They forgot. They forgot because they got impatient. And they didn't like their circumstances. So they started worshiping something else. I mean, can you not just reflect on your last month and see the same tendencies in your own heart? Man, God, I just don't like this situation. So I'm going to sit on the couch and binge Netflix for 12 hours. I really don't like this situation, so I'm going to have an extra drink at the end of the night just to take the edge off. Keep watch on your heart and keep watch on the truth of God. He doesn't promise perfect circumstances. He promises His presence. And He doesn't even promise that you'll feel His presence. Right? But He promises that He won't leave you. So even when you don't feel it, what is true? That He is with you. He is there. Remind yourself of that and remind God of His promises in your prayer. Verse 25, when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to their derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all of the sons of Levi gathered around him. Right, this is an opportunity for repentance. Who is on the Lord's side? Who is on the Lord's side? It is a call for them to say, I have changed my mind about this idol. And now I'll fight for Yahweh, the one true God. An opportunity for repentance. And it lies our own opportunity for repentance when we are called out on our sin. When the Lord brings our ways before us and shows us that we've been in the wrong, the only right response is confession and repentance. To realign our allegiance to Him, to deny ourselves and follow Him, repentance is the recognition that I was not on the Lord's side, and now I see that I would like to be. Uh, Charles Spurgeon called this practical repentance, and he says this, it's not enough to say we're sorry and repent, and then go on from day to day just as we always went. Right? It's a change of heart and a change of ways. And Tim Keller, who we lost this weekend, um, in a guide to repentance said this, in the gospel, the purpose of repentance is to repeatedly tap into the joy of our union with Christ in order to weaken our need to do anything 
contrary to God's heart. In the gospel, the purpose of repentance is to repeatedly tap into the joy of our union with Christ in order to weaken our need to do anything contrary to God's heart. That includes making idols and worshiping other things. The people of Israel weren't just trying to make God happy. They were acknowledging that it was not what was best for them. When we repent from fulfilling the desires of the flesh, which is the worship of self, we are realigning our heart with God, saying He is the one that provides joy. He is the one that provides comfort. He is the one that provides love. Not the things that He made or the distortions of those things. Not the good things in the wrong context, but God and in His ways, He provides joy. So they have this opportunity to repent, to say, we're on the Lord's side, and a lot of them come. So here's verse 27. He said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, put your sword on each, or put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from the gate to the gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day, about 3,000 men of the people fell. It's weighty. It's true. It's happened. God's people must worship God alone. That's the first commandment. In order for the people of God to be the people of God, they must actually worship God not a God of their own making or themselves. So to let a group of people who worship a different God be a part of this covenant community would not be right. It would be silly at best. The New Testament under grace gives us a new way to deal with people who leave to worship false gods, to worship idols. Um, and this is how we do it. It would be to cut them out of leadership and influence in the church, treat them as non-believers, and then to try and convince them of their false worship and convert them back into right worship of God. Right? So in this discipline of God, God is one preserving His people so that the people of God would not be led astray any longer, to get the idols out um, and to bring them into right worship of Him. Right? So He doesn't want any confusion on who is the Lord of Israel so those people have to go. They have to be cut off and put out of the camp to preserve the truth. And Moses said, today you, Levites, have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. I can't imagine that that was an easy task to do. They just traveled through the wilderness with these people. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They've made themselves gods of gold. 
But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. The Lord says to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now, go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they had made the calf the one that Aaron made. Now, the resolution to this passage comes in the following weeks, but for now, I want us to sit with these three truths, right? One, we are vulnerable to the worship of idols because of our sinful desires. Two, we should be quick to repent when God, in His grace, through the church, the Holy Spirit, and His Word point out to us what we have been walking in, in paths of unrighteousness. And three, when we pray according to the promises of God, we can trust that He will do what is right. So, as we move forward today, those are things that I want you to remember. But as I was meditating on this passage over the last couple of weeks, I think the main thrust of this passage is this. Even the priest needed a priest, an intercessor, a mediator. No one is perfect. No, not one. So today, as we go to the table to receive communion, repent. Turn from your selfish ways and believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing in Him and on Him, you may have life. And true life is found in Him, not in His gifts. It's in Him. He is our mediator, our intercessor, the one who stands in our place. So as you go and you take the bread, you dip it in the juice, remember that He stood in your place. He gave up His life so that you could have righteousness and life to God. Let's pray. God, thank you. Again, for, for showing us where we have vulnerabilities, for including in your word that it's the fact that Moses delayed that made them want to make idols. Lord, we confess to you that we are so impatient. that we don't always like our circumstances. Lord, I pray that we would cast down the idol of self, that we would see you as the one who provides every need that we have. Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit that convicts us. Thank you for the grace of repentance that we can live life to the full. Lord, I pray that you give us strength to not chase after idols, but Lord, to, to follow you with our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. Give us joy as we go to the table today. Give us peace. We love you. 
We praise you and we thank you. Amen.